man, you may be seated. I invite you to join me now in taking your Bibles and turning with me to our passage this morning. We're back in the book of Proverbs. So we'll be looking at all Proverbs chapter 5 this morning. So Proverbs chapter 5. And of course, I was on vacation last week as a pastor. It's nice to go on vacation and hear uh, someone else preach, but it's also, it's really even better to be able to be back with you all in the pulpit here this morning. So thank you for the time off, but glad to be back with you. Uh, so this morning, again, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 5. Uh, it's a longer passage, so I want to ask you to stand for a reading of it. Uh, let me pray for our time in this, and then we'll read it and have the Lord guide us in our time together in this passage. So join me now as we pray. Uh, Lord, we come to you now, and we simply ask uh, for your grace in this time. I am a sinful man whom you've called to be a pastor to preach this passage. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit has been with me this week and and thinking through this and putting these words together. Lord, help me to speak only your truth this morning. And I pray for your people here this morning that they will only hear your truth. Because this is your truth. Proverbs 5 is is your truth. Preserved for us over all these many years. It's your truth for us to hear and to know and to be changed by. So guide us in this time. We pray, O oh Lord, we praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs chapter 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of shield. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take the feel of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and then in your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline in my heart, despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Lovely deer, graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman, and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly he is led astray. Grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Amen. So we have spent the summer in the study of the book of Proverbs. We have seen this book has a laser focus on the wisdom of God. And specifically that God's wisdom is meant to cover all parts of life and faith for his people. What we have seen, we will see throughout this study, is that there isn't one part or corner of the life of a Christian 
For God's wisdom isn't meant to shine, illustrate, and inform. As we've seen, it's the wisdom that's meant to be passed down through godly generations. So wisdom that directs our steps is a wisdom that informs all of our life. That we need God's wisdom to cover all parts of our life in faith. It's a wisdom that's meant to do that for his people. So when we look at this for in the totality of all of life, then that has to include sex. That God's wisdom shines on the sexuality of all people and shines especially on his people. And so what we find in Scripture, what we find here in Proverbs 5, 5 is that God's wisdom is needed for our own proper view of sex and sexuality. We see that in our passage this morning. We see that along with other passages throughout God's word. That God's wisdom needs to inform us about how we think about sex, how we think about sexuality, and how we go about engaging in this knowledge of sex and sexuality. We need God's wisdom to guide us and direct us on this. Now understand, this isn't the most comfortable subject to hear. Try, try, try preaching on it. should let Thomas have his first Sunday preaching on this sermon this morning. Sex is a personal issue. It's something that's meant to stay behind closed doors and drawn curtains. When we start back to our Wednesday night fellowship meals, it's not meant for us to sit around with our food around the tables and say, hey, let's talk about sex. Everybody goes, yay, let's do that. That's fine. Sex is personal, it's intimate, and it's not meant to be shared with everyone. But I'm afraid we've made it so uh, personal that we've taken what's called a puritanical view and actually isn't very puritanical at all, but we treat it like a necessary evil. Something that people do, but for goodness sake, we're not going to talk about it, and we're, it's almost like a necessary evil that we have in our lives. However, it's not how the Bible treats it. God isn't shy about talking about sex. We have a whole passage in the book of Proverbs, right here. And other passages will deal with it, deal with it as well. And, and this is an entire chapter that has almost graphic descriptions. We read it here, it may cause some of us to bless or giggle. But it's in the Word of God, it's the wisdom of God. If you think this is uncomfortable, take your Bible and turn two books over to the Song of Solomon. It's an entire book from God that deals with biblical sexuality. If you think this language here will make you blush, man, just wait till you read the Song of Solomon. You're going to blush from beginning to end on that one. God isn't shy about sex. Well, we've talked about this before. You go back to the creation story. The first command he gave Adam and Eve as a couple, do you remember what it was? Be fruitful and multiply. I think we all know what God was telling Adam and Eve to do, don't we? The very first thing God tells Adam and Eve to do is here, enjoy this gift of sex. So he isn't shy about talking of sex in a proper way. It's not pornographic, it's not inappropriate, but it's proper 
and it's biblical. So we as Christians need to have that same mindset. If God says it's okay to think and talk and act in this way, do you know what? We trust and obey. And it's okay for us to think, talk, and act in this way. Godly biblical wisdom is for us to treat sex and sexuality like God does and how he commands us to do this. So it's okay for us to talk about it like God does. We need to talk about it because it's in the Bible. But another reason, we, we kind of touched a little bit about this in, in Sunday school this morning, another reason we need to talk about sex is because of the world around us. The world and culture around us isn't just talking about sex. It's in our ears screaming at the top of its lung about it. We have gotten to where there's hardly a part of our culture that isn't affected by sex and doesn't have some sort of message about sex. For goodness sake, we get to the Olympics and, and, and there's sex involved with it because you have some female athletes who don't want to dress in these skimpy outfits to play sports and they're getting penalized because they're trying to be modest about what they show to the world. We are surrounded by a world and culture that is screaming at us about sex and sexuality. And think about the message that it is screaming at us. We've referenced this before, but you have more and more sociologists who are coming out now that it says the key to a happy marriage is adultery. The key to a happy marriage is for each spouse to have as many lovers as they want, as long as they love their spouse the most, still trying to figure out that equation, but they still love their spouse the most and they come home to their spouse every night and take care of their family. That's the key to a happy marriage. Another message that the world is screaming at us is that any view and approach to sex and sexuality is okay. That whatever you decide you want to like and be is okay. There's no longer a standard. We each make up our own standard based upon our feelings and interestingly how our culture around us around structures us. It's, don't want to go far in this. We're so caught up in talking about sex sexuality within American culture. Start reading about it in other cultures. Our view of it is shaped by the culture around us. People are now allowed to, to marry to, to various people at the same time. You can even, some places, marry yourself. There's now even discussion taking place, not at the ground level, but higher level, discussion taking place about recognizing pedophilia as a legitimate sexual practice. Understand that. Young children are now subject, and there's a push for it to become legal, for them to become sexual objects. Folks, that's the world we're living in. And that's the message that's all around us. And that's why the estimates are out there that about 85% of men have premarital sex. After marriage, about 25% of men and 15% of women commit adultery at some point, and about half of men and a third of women are looking at internet porn once a month. That's astounding, isn't it? And I have friends who are college ministers who tell me that 9 out of 10 college guys struggle with internet pornography. And the 10th guy who tells you he isn't struggling with it is lying about it. And they say the number of girls they're struggling with it uh, are rising as well. 
And so there's testimonies and studies that are coming out that shows that how much this is doing, uh, adversely affecting them and able to have healthy relationships. Another pastor said, in summary, a tsunami of sexual destruction is slamming us in our modern world today. So here's the thing. If we don't talk about it, everybody else is. And we can try to stick our heads in the sand for as long as we want to, and we won't accomplish a thing. So as Christians who love and follow God, we, we have, have, have to talk about sex. We have to counter the message of the world with the message of truth. We need to talk about this for the sake of our children, for our families, for our church. Because God isn't shy about it. So we don't need to be either. So maybe with a little blushing, let's look at God's wisdom as we find it here in Proverbs 5. First two verses again. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. We've already said, we've already made a point, uh, God isn't shy about talking sex. Now in this context, we find that Solomon, who is guided by the Holy Spirit, is sitting down and having the sex talk with his son. Now for those of us who had that talk with our parents, and we had the talk with our children, we know it's not always comfortable, but it's needed. And it's interesting to see Solomon as a father doing this here. And you take this and you tie it in with the other passages of godly wisdom being passed down through godly tradition. Then we're given this picture that David, who is a man after God's own heart, set down his son Solomon to have sex talk with him. And then Solomon, the wisest man on all the earth, sat down and had a sex talk with his son. So David's not shy about it. Solomon's not shy about it. And God isn't shy about it. Then we don't need to be shy about it either. And what we find in this overall passage is a message that begins back in Genesis. And that is sex is good. Sex is a gift from God to us and we need his wisdom to treat it as such. And I've told some of y'all this story. Um, I may have said it here before. But my first call to ministry was down at the White Oak Church in Georgia. We moved down there in middle of October. Is that right, Beth? We've been down there for about a month, and the pastor came to me, and he says, listen, we have a nurse in a church who's doing sex education uh, with the youth group. And so I want you to preach in two weeks. There's a Sunday before Thanksgiving. I want you to preach on sex. I'm like, Tom, this is my first sermon in this church. It's going to be my first sermon as an ordained minister. I don't really want to preach on sex. And he said, well, suck it up because you're going to. It's okay. That's fine. So, the Sunday before, we always put the titles and passages of the sermons uh, the Sunday before. And so I gave it to the secretary. And Tom came down to me. He said, are you sure you want to do this? Because the title of my sermon was, and on the sixth day, God created sex, dot, dot, dot. And it was good. And uh, takes a minute to get it, right? Um, I'm happy to say the next Sunday, there's standing room only in the church. Not because I was a good preacher, we're like, what in the world is this guy going to say about it? But that's the message of Scripture. Sex is good because sex is a gift from God to us. But we need his wisdom to treat us as such. 
He's meant it for our good. He's meant sex for our good. And he wants to make sure we keep it that way because he knows our sinful tendencies. And we see this come on very early on in scripture. He knows our sinful tendencies is for us to corrupt his good gift to us. So he gives it to us. He says, here's my wisdom on how you keep this good gift, you keep this good gift good. And again, we already mentioned, we think back to God commanding Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Think about this in the chronology of Scripture. This was pre-sin. This is, this is in chapter 1 and 2. This is not chapter 3. And, and, and after God created, at the, at the end of each day, do you remember how he described everything? And it was good. I mean, it was perfect. There was no sin in it. And at the end of the sixth day, Remember, he looked around and he said it, and it was all very good. So Adam and Eve were given to get the sex in a sinless garden. It's a good gift from God to his people, and we have to treat it as such. One pastor says it this way, sex is like fire, and the fireplace is good because it keeps us warm. Outside the fireplace, it burns the house down. So Proverbs 5 is saying, keep the fire in the marital fireplace and stoke that fire. And that's God's wisdom for us in this passage. It's the main gist of the message that Solomon received from his father David is now passing down to his son. And that's the main gist that our Heavenly Father is now sharing with us. Sex is a good gift from God. And we need his wisdom to keep it right and good so we can appreciate it as a gift that it is. Now this wisdom is shared with the father warning his son about the type of woman he needs to avoid. Look at verses 3 through 6. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. And the end, But in the end she is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her, her, her ways wander, and she does not know it. Sometimes I, I chuckle when I read this passage because I can hear the voice of my grandmother telling me to not run around, to not run around with those no good women. Saying her kitchen in Lancaster, her, her wagging her finger at me, telling me, "Don't you go running around with those no good women." Her other wisdom for me, too, is not run around women from Kershaw County. That's a whole other story, though. But I, I hear my grandmother's voice in that because that, that's the wisdom here, isn't it? So Solomon's telling his son, don't, don't you run around with those no good women, right? Like 90% of what the good old country songs were about, right? Those, those, no, those no good women who messed up your life. But how do we know these women are no good? We know it by the end results, by, the, the, by the, what they leave behind them. The, the end result, their actions and motives are, are death. Nothing good comes out of these relationships with these women. Now, they know the sweet things they can say. And they can flatter with the best of them. And boy, they can, they can bat those long eyelashes at you and start to, to melt you. But you see where it always leads up. Solomon says, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. These no good women lead to eternal death and destruction. 
Yes, they have sweet words, but those sweet words hide, hide a bitter and destructive personality. She's a smooth talker, but she's covering her intent to ultimately destroy you and everything you love. She uses sex and sexuality to capture you so she can destroy you like a spider weaving a web to catch flies. And that's the exact kind of woman men want to avoid and we want our sons to avoid. We don't want to run around with these no good women. Yes, they may be beautiful and they may have curves in all the right places and they may say the right things, but we know and we can see where life with them ends up. It's no surprise Just go look at their past boyfriend or husband and one before that and one before that and one before that and so on and so forth. We know the end result of them. So as men, we don't run around with these no good women. On the other hand, this is the kind of woman we don't want our daughters to be. Our physical daughters and our church daughters. And I was reminded of that this week. We are... um, this morning we had a chance to talk to Ada Bass about becoming a communicant member of this church. And many of you remember when she was baptized here by Dwight Pearson. I think a couple weeks before I came, they said, let's get Dwight to baptize this baby before the new guy comes in because we don't know about that guy. But every time we've baptized an infant, all of us have answered the affirmative to this question. Do you, the members of this congregation, undertake with these parents the covenant responsibility for the Christian nurture of this child. That makes every child of this church a son or daughter of this church. So all these little children we see coming up for children's sermon, that we see going to the nursery, that we see in Sunday school, we see in youth group, we see on Wednesday nights, we want the spiritual and biblical best for them even when it comes to something as sensitive and personal as sex. And what this passage along other passage teaches is that it is God's wisdom that we don't want to raise our daughters to be anything close to this woman here. So what do we do? We talk to them about it. We model proper biblical sexuality to them. We explain to them that how they present, them, how they present themselves to the world says more than what they probably realize. We love them, we teach them, we guide them. Because we never want to be said of our Bethel daughters, hey, that's a Proverbs 5 moment, isn't it? We love them too much. So godly and biblical wisdom is not only we tell our boys to stay away from those girls, we tell our girls, stay away from being like that. The next part of wisdom focuses back in on the son and men and their responsibility, beginning in Proverbs 5, 7. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. And the issue of modesty is important in the life of a Christian. And part of that discussion includes the extents of modesty. Are we to go so far as to demand that all of our women you know, wear dresses down past their ankles and long sleeves and to cover up their heads. And looking around, I think we already know the answer to that. 
we know that's not the answer to it, but we, can we be a little bit more lax than that? If so, how, how lax can we be? What's, what's, what's the limit on this? So part of that discussion is, is how much focus is placed on, on modesty for, for women and their dress. And it, it's, a, it's a worthy discussion, I think, especially in this day and age when so much of our lives are placed out there for public consumption, how much of their bodies should be on display for consumption. And I think that's a worthy discussion. But I think it's worth noting here in Proverbs chapter 5 that more the responsibility is put on the guy. I think in the Christian church, we put so much responsibility on the girls and we don't put it on the guys. But godly biblical wisdom says, no, men have a responsibility in this. And my math may be a little bit off, but as I look through this, the no good woman is described in four verses. But for the next eight verses, so double up the amount, the next eight verses teaches the men their responsibility. And how when they don't handle that responsibility, the ruin that will come on them. And Solomon lists off the ruin that comes with men when they are biblically unwise when it comes to sex and sexuality. He says it will deplete a man financially in cover-ups, alimony and lawsuits. It will ruin his reputation. He will be ruined emotionally, his conscience and and his marriage will be ruined. So if men are not biblically wise with this, then then they are going to have jealousy, hurt, loneliness, and regret. And the cost here is too high to live this way. And that cost is there all because we choose to not listen to the wisdom of God. And so Ray Ortland kind of takes all this wisdom and he summarizes it this way. He says, listen, men, keep your hands off of other women and keep them on your wives. If you want to boil it all down, it boils down to to that. Keep your hands off of women who are not your wives. Keep your hands on your wives. Now, it's going to be up to your wives to kind of set the parameters, the boundaries of that. But the idea is there, we don't mess around with other women. The price is too high for us to run around with women who aren't our wives. The gift is so great for us when we stay with the woman God has given to us. And so this cost of fleeting sexual pleasure is entirely too high. Either it be a one-night stand or even a long-standing adulterous affair, it's entirely too high. And Solomon says a wise, wise Christian man will know that and flee from it. So wisdom is loving your wife and being faithful to her. That's the way we're called to live. But the other side of this is we want to make sure that we are raising physical sons and our church sons to not be sexual predators. Because that's the sort of manhood that is celebrated in our, in our society today, isn't it? The sexual predators, they're studs, they're the guys. It's the sort of manhood that always lead to ruin. Many of us are probably familiar with the name of Hugh Hefner, who's the founder of Playboy. And for many years, several generations, he was a hero to many men. Because many, many men wanted to live the life of Hugh Hefner. Because he was surrounded by beautiful women. And many of them would do just about anything they could to sexually gratify him. And later on in his life, before he died, there was an account written of his life. And part of the account was the extent that he had to go to to get sexual pleasure. And not going to share any more details because it's, it's graphic. I think it's too graphic for, the, for this pulpit. 
But suffice it to say that this sexually unwise life that Hugh Hefner lived led to his ruin. And if any men knew that this is where this sort of life would lead to, we would run from it as far as we want to. So this is why we want to not raise our sons to be that way. We want to have that talk with them. We want to set the example for them. So we have to think about how is it do we treat our wives? How do we treat our physical daughters? How do we treat our church daughters? How do we treat other women? Do the women in your life know they have the freedom to live wisely according to God? Are we trying to get them to fit in the mold of this world? Be a little Christian over here, but be a little worldly over there. So what example are we setting for our boys? Biblical wisdom is that our wives are gifts from God. Do we treat them as such? Or are they just sexual objects to do with as we please? Are all women like that? And I think part of the example setting for all of us is when it's when we say, I can't say too much about this sin or that sin because I committed that same sin when I was younger. I don't want to be a hypocrite. So I don't want to say too much about that sin. If I may be so bold and blunt to say that when we take that approach to our children's spiritual well-being, then we have failed our children. If we ever get to the point of saying, I can't say much to you about this because I'm guilty of the same sin, then we've failed them. Let's, for, so for the sake of argument, let's say it like this. Let's say part of your story is that when you were 16 years old, you went to a party, you got ripped and drunk, and you got to your car to drive home. And on your way home, you ran into a van uh, that was filled with a family who was going on their annual vacation to Walt Disney World. And you killed all of them. Would you tell your team that story then hand them a case of Bud Light and car keys and tell them to be careful. Or let's say you're in college and you've come back for Christmas break and you're over at a buddy's house and you, you, stumble, you, you, you drunkenly stumble into the bonfire and you suffer third degree burns over half your body. Would you tell your kids that story then hand them a case of PBR you want to give them the cheap beer? You hand them a case of PBR and some lighter fluid and say, hey, go have some fun. I don't think any of us are irresponsible or stupid enough to do that. Yet we can do that to a lesser degree of some of the indiscretions of our youth, can't we? Even when it comes to sexual sins. I don't want to sound like a hypocrite by telling my child not to do what I have done. No, you're the best wisdom to tell them why they shouldn't commit the same sin that you have. Because God's wisdom is clear. Sexual sin destroys. So what are we going to do with that wisdom? Are we going to share it and teach it? Or are we going to hide it? Are we going to hand them a case of beer and the car keys and lighter fluid and say, hey, go have a good time? Finally, there's a missing piece of this conversation. That piece is Christ. We said before, Christ is, on, is in all the Proverbs because he is the wisdom of God incarnate. He is wisdom incarnate. So where is Christ when we discuss God's wisdom on sex? Let me point to him in two ways. First, there's forgiveness. He forgives us of our sexual sins. 
either be premarital sex, adultery, lust, pornography. Whatever the sexual sin is, Christ forgives us if we bring it to him to be forgiven. So let me encourage you, if you have not brought those sins to him, the biblically wise thing for you to do is to bring them to him. Sometimes we want to take those sins and we want to hide them away, right? We want to pretend like they don't happen. We put them behind closed doors, but God knows them. We need to bring them into the light of his forgiveness and grace so we can stop bearing that burden. Christ forgives. So come to him for forgiveness, even your sexual sins. Second is faith. It's only through faith in Christ that we can live in the blessed way that God has prepared for us. And part of that way is sex. It's a gift for us. And we can only enjoy this gift with all the pleasure that God has designed for it when we are in faith in Christ. And we can only teach the right way about others when we are in faith in Christ. It's only through faith that we can enjoy it. It's a gift of God and it is. So if by faith we keep it in the bounds of marriage and enjoy it for all that it is, it's the fire we keep in the fireplace. But we can only keep it there through faith in Christ. So through faith we come to his wisdom and we see sex in the biblically wise way that God gives it to us. It's a good gift from him. We stay away from no good women. We don't raise those no good women. We don't pursue those women. We teach our sons uh, to not pursue them. And we live it out in our lives. So let's be attentive to God's wisdom. Let's incline our ears to his understanding so we can be biblically, biblically wise with sex for our good, for our pleasure, and for the good of our family and society. Join me as we pray.